0: to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> It's just going to be Jeff and I here today and uh, we're going to do some hockey talk. I know just from some feedback from you guys, uh, there's been a couple episodes that we've done in the past. Uh, We did one on the power play and the penalty kill. We did one on the four check. Uh, where the two of us just kind of sat and talked some hockey, and we are going to do that today. And today we're going to talk about player development. Uh, so talking about how to develop players and and the basic questions that we are going to try to answer is, number one, what are we trying to develop in players? And then number two, how can we develop that in the players as well? So uh, before we get into our conversation, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, my man?
1: Not much, bro. Just, uh, just living. Having a pretty good day. Had some calls from some pretty big time players that want to train with me here uh, as the gyms are opening up in St. Louis. So, been an exciting day.
0: Can you can you give any names?
1: Uh, uh, Joe, you know Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe who? Oh, you know Joe Mama. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I should talk about it, but yeah, just exciting day, man. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Getting excited for my gym to open back up officially uh, the 15th here in St. Louis and uh, get going. I got 72 to 84 guys a day. So let's get it.
0: Let's guys, get it. Baby. Guys and girls. What, what? Uh... Uh,
1: uh, I've won one female hockey player, Nicole Hensley, but I asked her the other day. I said, I said, uh, well, I'm addressing the group of you in the gym do I say guys or do I say guy and girl or like, you know, I was just like, I don't I'm not trying to leave you out, but it's just like, I'm speaking fast. Like we're trying to bang to the worker. She's like, no, just say guys. I was like, okay. Like, cause I don't mean guys, like boys, men. I mean like you group of people. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah. It, it just comes out You say guys and maybe I need to be better with that. But I asked her and she was like, no guys is fine. I was like, okay, if you're fine with it then. <laughs> but yeah, so I got, I have one female hockey player and then Nicole is training, uh, some hockey players for me as well this summer, and uh, and some female hockey players as well. So nice,
0: yeah. Nice, yeah. nice, nice, nice. So yeah. Things are finally starting to open up a little bit down there.
1: Yep, the rink's been open for two or two weeks for pros now, and uh, and for camps, you're allowed to have summer camps right now, um, but oh, not wow. real. not real hockey but summer camp hockey like what is the difference there is none it's hilarious uh but uh next week the rink opens and you can have 34 players on the ice in st louis but they're not allowed to hit each other so but i mean that's a pretty big step
0: wait you can have 34 players on the ice at a time
1: on the 15th yeah
0: wow
1: yeah yeah missouri has like the one of the lowest covid rates i believe
0: good for you guys that's unreal
1: you know, they're all ripped monsters here. So what's up?
0: (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Let's get to this here. Actually, first, before we get to this, I want to thank everybody for the feedback from our podcast last week with Leon. Um, you know, it was one of those podcasts that, um, a little bit different than obviously what we are used to doing. Uh, it was a very important topic that we felt it was, you know, it was necessary to talk about and it's a, it's a crazy time in, in our country in our world right now. And, and, uh, you know, we we thought it would be great to get someone like Leon on, um, obviously as an African American, to get his perspective and just such a well thought out person, such a well respected person in the hockey world too, and uh, like he just he knocked it out of the park. I mean, just just giving us his perspective and and giving our listeners his perspective on the things that were going on, and and we've gotten such amazing feedback from that one. So we really appreciate it. And uh, what were your initial thoughts after? listening back to it and all that kind of stuff.
1: Well, i never personally met Leon before heard, heard good things about him from teammates and stuff. And like the guys, he was awesome. Like I thought everything he said was obviously very topical and relevant, but he's very intelligent, very articulate, obviously a great guy. You could just tell that he was one of the biggest beauties in the locker room. Like you could just tell he was a great guy. And, uh, you know, like the, I think that episode was so important. It was really fun, but like, it's also like super heavy to think like the things that, that, he and other people have had to deal with and it's 2020 and that stuff's still going on. And I just think it's an absolute joke and it's an embarrassment. And it's like, so it, it pains me to even have to do an episode like that or even put out like people, you know, uh, um, uh, tweeting at me, you know, like with tweets like this, the stand up to racism. And I'm like, yes, it's awesome. But at the same time, like, do we really have to put out tweets? And yes, we do is the answer because people are ridiculous, but it's like such a joke that that has to go on it, it like hurts my soul and my heart, and like it's one of the reasons I got off Instagram for that week. Just, everything was so negative. And that was before like the protests happened. It, it was right before that. It was just a coincidence, but it was just so much negativity in the world, man. Sometimes it's hard to to it's, it's hard for me to like see that you know stuff.
0: For sure, for sure. But at the same time, growth comes from being outside the comfort zone. We talk about that all the time. So that was certainly outside of our comfort zone. I think I said it on the podcast. Like I was really nervous for it because you want to say the right things and and you want to be a a part of – progress and and going in the right direction. And, uh, you know, it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about because obviously it's very polarized right now. Um, and, and this is a big deal, you know, this is a big deal. It's it's something our country needs to be much, much better at. And, uh, the fact that we're dealing with this still, (laughs) um, and, and probably will for a long time, but it was good. Like, I think Leon had also a, a, positive message too. I think that oh, this yeah. time around, you know, and, and, and for me too, the way that he related it a lot to, to hockey was pretty cool in the, in the sense of, you know, talking about how his teammates were more offended than he was when he would be taunted and things like that. And, and talking about the locker room as, as like a little bit of a, uh, a window into what our country is like and, and how, if you have a divided locker room, there's no way you can win out on the ice. And that's kind of what we're at like now. And um, just obviously we're a hockey podcast and being able to relate it to those things was, was really interesting. And, and and just, uh, it was really cool to hear him have positivity in in the shoes that he's wearing, just how the hockey world has kind of rallied around it, and how the world at large has kind of rallied around it, and and hopefully we can see some progress here as a, as a hockey community and as a community as a whole. So thank you guys for all your feedback on that episode, and uh, and Leon, yeah, he was awesome. You can you can tell why you can tell why a lot of people love him.
1: Hundred percent, absolute beauty, and about. <laughs> I was listening to that episode too. Like you could tell he's, he's tight with the boys in the locker room too. He made some funny comments about music in the locker room and you know how much they love music. So I was paying attention to those. I thought it was (laughs) really interesting. So cool guy. Very cool guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So let's get to the topic at hand here now for this week and that's player development and player development, hockey development. I think development is one of those buzzwords right now that everybody likes to say, but in terms of like, if you ask them people like, what does that mean? It's like, hmm, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Making them better. <laughs> um, so we wanted to kind of go through just what what hockey and player development means to us. And Jeff and I are fortunate to have some really good relationships in the hockey world and, and to be able to talk to some of the leaders in the field of hockey development, to share some of their th- their thoughts, share some of our thoughts, and just kind of go through what we feel is really important in making teams better, uh, making players better, and uh, and just kind of going through it. So just in, in your experience, the first thing I wanted to ask you before we kind of get going into it, did you ever have like a coach or a development coach coach? um that you played for whether it was in juniors college pro that you felt like i'm really getting better as a hockey player under this person
1: i mean hastings in omaha for sure like the, the only reason i made it to college got a scholarship only reason i signed nhl deal played pro was because of the details that he put into us and like i look at him Doing all of those things as like the biggest piece in my development. It was like such a massive focus on all the little details of the game. And it made me see the game differently, think the game differently, break it down differently. And I developed so much as a player from doing all these little tiny things.
0: Yeah. You? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think the the one that I really look to is Stan. You talk about development, it's different kinds of development. And I think that's another thing that's important to talk about too, is it should be age appropriate. So some of the things that we'll be talking about is not necessarily for like the might squirt peewee level. We're talking a little bit more older ages because at the younger ages development, for me, it's all about passion and skills. Like let the kids develop a, a, an unbelievable love for the game. Number one, that's got to be their basis and their foundation. Because when you have a passion and a love for the game, it's something we talk about all the time. It's not work now. Now I'm coming having fun and and also getting better at the same time. I'm going to put more effort into it, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the skill portion to it, you know, that's something that's that's really important as well. Um, So I think some of the stuff that we're going to talk about a little bit more towards the older people, but Stanford for me. I mean, so much focus on skills, so much focus on just how to process the game of hockey. I think that's something that's not talked about enough. We drill so much on skill development that we forget about the other side of it. I think a little bit sometimes um, that the Instagram Power Edge Pro type of culture that's kind of permeating a lot of skill development right now. Um, so we'll we'll get into that stuff, but yeah, I think Stan for me was probably the one that. Uh, I think I got the most better off of him.
1: The most better. Hey, eh? okay. Um, I think <laughs> that <laughs> I, as well, I gotta say this. I've, I've seen a former NHL player in St. Louis here running power edge pro, um, for younger kids. And I think that power edge pro gets, uh, crapped on a lot by higher level people, but I think they're also thinking about it for the highest level. I think it's like anything else. You can use it as a tool, in really good ways. Even for pros, you can use it as a tool. It's a small tool for pros in a large toolbox. But I think like so many people are like, oh, it's so stupid, it's so stupid. It's not you just need to know how and when to use it pretty much like everything in the world. But I think for kids like very little kids, I think it's a decent tool again, a small tool within a large toolbox. But I mean, watching the things that they could do these kids, like I could not even get close to doing things they were doing like (laughs) when I was playing juniors and they're doing it at 10 years old, they look like out there. So um, obviously that doesn't mean you're not, you're thinking the game and stuff like that. But I think just like fundamental technical skills, I think it can be used for good.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I'm as much on that train. I'm not a huge fan of PowerEdge Pro. I mean, I think it. if you're, again, it goes back to what you said. If you're using it for the right reasons, like I don't think it's necessarily making you, I don't like it a lot because you have to have your head down. Like, you have to see the implements, you have your head down. And the other thing I don't like about it is it's a static learning environment. So that's not how hockey is played. Hockey is played with movement. Hockey is played where you have to make decisions and all that kind of stuff. And it's a static environment where, like, when are you ever going to have a defender that's just standing there with the stick out?
1: Well, I agree. However, if you do a nice fake and you freeze a D-man, what happens? His stick stops moving. Like, so if you're going up to the implement and you throw a shoulder fake, like when you do that guys freeze. But like what I'm saying is I look at development and business and everything. Like in tr- I try and look at it as a pyramid. The top is like the apex, like the top of the pyramid. Like this is like hundred percent. This is my highest level of thinking, performing all these things. And then I open that pyramid and it grows into a super wide base and it's long and tall at the bottom. And so for me, that's like one little sliver that's on the very bottom because like You have to learn how to grab things as a baby before you can throw a ball. So I look at it the same way here. Like, your hands will get better from doing this stuff. You will be better in tight. And then when you move on to a moving object, I think you're better than if you just go right to the moving object. That's just how I look at it.
0: Just building from the bottom up?
1: Right. Like, like, like that's a simplified skill. So, like, maybe, like, say you got, I don't know, I don't even know, 12-year-olds doing it, like, as the first drill of practice – then the next drill, you it's you're going around a guy who's moving or something. So like it's kind of like a warm up to it's a regression to the next level. That's how I would use those implements personally if I were to use them.
0: Sure. One of the things we used to do at Cornell, uh, in practice, like if we were doing some of the flow drills, like you talk about making a move on a defender or whatever, what we would do is we would have, um, like the player would shoot and then they would stop and then they would have to come out and like shadow defend the next player that was coming down for that rep. So putting your stick in a certain way. So again, it goes back to it. Like it's a little bit more variable. It's not so static Right. where it's more game, like, you know, it's, so I just, I'm not,
1: but for I, it's, a little kid, like a 10-year-old, it's to be super hard to do the timing and have him shoot, stop, come well, back, you could attack put a coach, the next player. you could
0: put a coach there and right. then make it fun and be like, oh, I'm putting my stick all the yeah. way over on this side. I guess you should <laughs> and go then over here. Have head up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sure. so I, sure. hey, hey, I get, I get, I, I think, I don't I'm more slam, on this side.
1: I'm more on your side. But like you're I'm just saying Devil's i Advocate,
0: see, I know. I, yeah, I see because how of that our be- our guy Adam Nicholas and Brandon Dorado, they're going to uh you're going to have some phone calls from them. What's, I'm pretty, hear
1: pretty you. Sure. I already got, got texted. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I like it. All right, so let's let's get to this here. So what what is important to develop for kids when it comes to their hockey playing abilities? And I don't think I don't, I don't just want to talk about hockey playing abilities because I think development is so much more than that. Um, and the way that I look at it in a little bit is almost from a scout standpoint. Like if I'm watching a player, what do I want to see that player doing really well? Like, what do I want to see that player where I'm like, Hey, I got to have that person as a part of my program, if that makes any sense. So I actually, I kind of went through, um, and I've been doing this for my organization with our coaches that we're going to have, and I'm, I'm going with the five C's. So I kind of wanted to go through the five C's, and also, if you have stuff to add, like, just let me know. The first thing that I think is really, really important for kids to develop is game awareness and creativity. So creativity is the first one. Um, you have to be able to make plays in the game of hockey. And um, I just... It, again, going back to the PowerEdge Pro conversation and so much skill conversation, it's great to have skills, it's necessary to have skills, but the game awareness, the creativity for me is is above that. So, how do you develop creativity in a practice, in a skill session, in what we're talking about? Jeff Levecchio, go.
1: My hands up, teach. Um, <laughs> Like it's a, it's a really hard question. How do you get the basic thing is you want people to think outside the box, like don't think so linearly. Um, so I, that's such a good question. Like I'm, I'm constantly like trying to tell the kids, like there's like, don't think of rules. Like if you're playing a game and a coach doesn't give you rules or like set parameters, I want them to think outside the box. And if they do something that's like so ridiculous, but it like but the other team's like oh that's why would anyone do that like I love seeing that because I'm like you're thinking outside the box like you're starting to like get creative and and problem solve in the middle of like these games or these competitions we're playing and uh I don't know so like I like I like not putting rules out there and then like getting in a kid's ear and be like, Hey, why don't you try this real fast? And then he does it and everybody's like, he can't do that. I'm like, I didn't (laughs) say he couldn't. So like thinking kind of outside the rules a little bit and like giving one or two kids like an idea and then watching the other kids then play off that and, and take on, you know, more, more with that. And then it just kind of, people have fun with it and you go from there.
0: Yeah. I think games is a big part of it, but let me ask you this. So define a creative player so if you look at like who's the most creative player that you've ever played with who's made the most plays like somebody that just just unbelievable hockey sense
1: patrick gallivan was really like that guy was so creative man like yeah he he was him and paul Shahura, my two line mates were in my best year in college like they were unbelievable and they were they just read off each other and they looked at things differently like galley didn't have the hardest shot and he used to do this thing to goalies where he looked so stupid doing it but it worked every time he would come down and he'd look like he was going to shoot and then he'd start crossing over like super fast like as he's going across the net so the goalie's thinking oh he's going to try and beat me like to the to the far post and he would just like flip the puck in like super softly against the grain, kind of like Kovalchuk did in uh in the Olympics. But like he was doing it like uh, it just looked so ugly, but it was like so creative what he was doing to fake the goalie out. And I was just like, he would do stuff like that during games all the time. And I just thought it was really cool. And he started making me think about like being creative offensively, doing different things that like people be like, what are you doing? But it was like, whoa, that worked. <laughs> How about you? You're, most, I mean, you're one of the most creative guys, too, that I played with. But, like, you know, we only played in, like, summer tournaments and stuff together.
0: Thanks, man. Appreciate
1: it. You
0: that. were. You were. That's a stanimal thing. Um, I think the best creative players, they do a couple different things really well. One, and this is – so for everybody that's listening right now, go to Twitter and go look at a thread of Daryl Belfry's Twitter – um, that he did just the other day. And he talks a little bit about the difference between read and reacting and almost like reading and reacting isn't good enough anymore. The best players and the greatest players are able to manipulate plays themselves. Oh yeah. So they're playing chess, right? While everybody else is is playing checkers. So how do you do that? How do you manipulate plays? You talk about deception, all that kind of stuff. Like the, the best for me, the most creative players can do that. They can manipulate the play for it to go how they want them to go. But also I think they're really, really good at supporting the puck and passing, passing and supporting the puck, passing and supporting the puck, passing and supporting the puck, passing and supporting the puck. I think creative players have just an incredible mind to be able to know where to go, how to get it. And then when they do get it time and space, manipulating time and space, but also like knowing when to play fast and knowing when to show poise. You know what I mean? Like I think creative players can do all of those things really, really well. So how do you do that? Like how do you do that if you want to develop that with your kids in practice? Like what are ways that you, that you can develop the, the manipulation? What are ways that you can to develop the, the puck support and the passing? I
1: mean, honestly, you got to either play a lot of hockey or study a lot of hockey first and foremost, I think, so that you, it's kind of like when you're driving somewhere, you always go to, like, you just kind of like know what's going to happen, you know, you're kind of on not on autopilot, but you just know like where the curves are and stuff. And like what you're saying with manipulating time and space and like getting players to go where you want to. I look at that like both offensively and defensively. And I think the easiest way to illustrate that is defensively the most creative players. Cause it's creative or it's just smart. I guess when you're going in on a four check, they don't go on a straight line right behind the guy. They take the angle to the, to force the guy to wherever they want that guy to go. Cause they know their second four checkers coming in a certain spot. So like, that's that's not reading and reacting. That's manipulating the, the, the your opponent. And so, you know, I think you either need to play a lot of hockey to know like where just like very quickly make decision. Oh, I want to force him to the left because I know I got Johnny over here coming coming up my, my left side or you got to watch a lot of hockey and learn and then watch how players do it. Like watch what Crosby does with his feet, with his hips, with his shoulders, just like doing a little twist. And then what does the D man do? Oh, he bites a little bit. Now he pulls up. Now he created five feet of separation. So, I mean, and then you can teach it to the kids.
0: So I'll go further. I'll go further on you because you mentioned the four check, right? Going back. So Zach Wierenski had an awesome quote, and this is about manipulating like right back at that four checker. So if he's going back now, he's got to take an angle. But if you want to manipulate that person, again, conventional wisdom, what we've always kind of been taught is as a defenseman, when you're going back to get a retrieval, you got to sprint back to get that puck, right? Sprint back to get that puck so you can have more time and space. But what he talked about is actually getting that defender as close as you possibly can to you, and then when you get that puck – Now you make a move one way or the other, you manipulate his speed, and then boom, you're gone, you're coming up, and you can make your play. So it's all about kind of like – it's that chess, right? It's that chess game that you're talking about where you're trying to get the other person to do what you want them to do so then you can make your play and which will ultimately hopefully end up being the right play.
1: Because I know that you know that I know (laughs) what you think I know you know. Right.
0: Sure. <laughs> I um, but I think a lot of a lot of just being able to, especially at the younger ages, um, I, I think you just got to play a lot of games and you got to let the kids play and let them figure it out. Um, at the older ages, you can do a little bit more video work. You can do a lot, a little bit more game pattern work and things like that. Um, but when you're t- talking about creativity, putting them in small areas, letting them play, but not just like letting them play games. Like if you're talking about um, having them knowing when to play fast and when to show poise. Like I love games where you have to make like four passes before you can shoot it. So now you're talking about like, you have to find time and space or you play a game where it's like, you have to get the puck off your stick within two seconds. So it forces the player without the puck to have to move to an open space, um, to be able to be of support because if you have the puck and you have to get rid of it right away. You better have somebody open. So that the onus is now on the player without the puck to be able to um, execute a play. So I just, a lot of games, doing a lot of different variations during games, um, doing a lot of passing and stuff during games. I think that stuff is really, really good.
1: I think bringing in, so like, I think, I think too, and Adam Nicholas still to this day, I think it's one of the best things that's been said on this podcast. He said like coaches should, Learn from teachers how to teach, so that you can coach better. Uh, and I thought that was like one of the most genius things I've ever heard. And like trying to be a better teacher will will then allow you to to get the message across better. And I th- saw so like external cueing. People respond to external cueing so much more. So. Instead of saying to the kids, like, well, you need to create time and space, I think you bring them in the locker room before a game and grab a basketball, tell one of the kids to stand up and be like, all right, I want you to D me up. Watch what's going to happen here, boys. And then throw, like, a hard sell. And obviously, if you're older, you're going to be more athletic than a little kid. Throw, like, a hard sell, like you're going to drive the lane and stop. And obviously, the kid's going to back up. What is that going to do? It's going to create time and space. And then you could be like, okay, now – look what I can do now, I can pass, I can get closer than that, I can shoot, like look at all these things. Now guys, we want to take this to the ice. So when you're on the ice and you have the puck or you don't have the puck, let's think about doing this kind of thing. And just seeing it in a different light, I think will then um, make them kind of understand a little bit more. And like, I think back to a specifically one drill that we did this year, and I've talked about this before with everyone talking about playing fast and everyone to be in like no board practice, like always got to be moving. Like, yeah, it's great. But like, if there's a teaching moment, like teach, like you're being paid to coach or you're there to coach. So we were doing this drill. It was like a two on one coming in at the blue line. And the guy with the puck would always be on the boards. And he was supposed to chip it off the boards behind that D man. And all the time, like see, these are 16 year old triple A players. Like they want to play fast, but I'm like, you got to be creative. You got to create time and space for your teammate. So they were just like coming straight at the D man Chipping it off the wall. So then it's a bad angle pass. Now the guy can't pick it up who's slashing underneath. Probably icing it. (laughs) Right. Probably icing it. And the D man can hit the guy or just turn and get it easily. I'm like, what happens? And then I stop the practice. I'm like, get over here. So then I demonstrate the drill and I'm like, watch what I do here. I take two crossovers to the middle, I suck the D three feet off where he was off the dot. Then you make that pass now because of the angle, the puck bounces in a way where that player's skating into it, which what gives him more time and space. Then he's coming in at a better angle to see everything. He has his head up. He can make a pump fake and then he can pull up like, so stopping practice and demonstrating and showing like, Hey, what am I going to do here? Asking questions. It's so important. Don't just like think because you show it on a board, everyone gets it. I can't tell you how many kids are like, wait, what just happened on the board? like every drill kids are coming up to me after our head coach and put it up there. Wait, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I wasn't, I wasn't listening either. (laughs) No, but like, you know, so sometimes you got to show it to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, And you're right. I mean, the teaching aspect of, and we'll get into that a little bit when we talk about how to teach these types of skills, um, that we're, we're talking about right now, but Um, yeah, I mean, there's gotta be a delicate balance of it because you've certainly been to practices where the coach talks for 40 minutes of the, of the 60 minute practice too. (laughs) So it's gotta be, it's gotta be a good balance for sure. But, you know, creativity, it's, it's one of those things where, um, it's, it's that debate, either have it or you don't, can you get it? Are you, is it something you're born with, you know, kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, I think I used to be a little bit more along the lines of it's something that you're kind of born with. Um, it's innate, but I think it could be taught. Now I'm a little bit more leaning toward, I shouldn't say leaning towards, but I'm a little bit more towards the camp of it's it's something that you could teach and putting kids in situations and then just letting them fail, letting them make mistakes, letting them figure it out, and then teaching, like you said, um certain things to do. but um, I think we we beat that one to a dead horse a little bit. What do you think? Shall we move on?
1: Yeah, that is an interesting question though. Is it innate or can it be learned? Like I, there's times where I'm like, Oh my God, why? Like you're doing it. This is awesome. Like you couldn't do that before. And then there's other times where you're like, you tell the same person 400 times to do something and they just can't get it. No matter (laughs) what angle you attack it from, they just don't see it. Don't get it. And it's like, Oh, can this be learned? So yeah, it's hard. I think it's up to the person.
0: Well, it's that person's willingness to learn. Yeah, I was just
1: going to say, maybe they don't want to learn. So
0: here, let's let's go on to the next one. This is a good segue because the first C we talk about is creativity. The second, uh, well, it's actually the third on my list, but we'll go and make it the second right now is coachability. I think coachability is something, how can we teach these kids, again, we're talking about development, talk about getting better. A kid that is more coachable is able to get better. Something Ryan Hardy talks about all the time. Like if a kid has a, has a larger capacity to learn and can grasp things better, the more they're able to apply those skills that they're learning, uh, at a, at a faster late at a faster rate, uh, on the ice as well. So when you talk about coachability, what, um, how do you develop that in a player?
1: I mean I, I feel like that part of that starts at home um from <laughs> <parent>. think?
0: <laughs> like I mean
1: obviously like you know discipline and but not being scared of a coach like I was a little bit scared of coaches when I was younger because like my parents were like they were super fun but they were also like I was very disciplined so that kind of made me like nervous around adults like that were authoritative figures, just cause like I, I just always wanted to do the right thing. So I think there's definitely like a balance you have to have, but I don't know. I don't know. You answer that first.
0: Uh, I think a big part of it is kids learn differently. So as a coach getting to know your players, you know, some kids are more audio learners. I think a lot more today are visual learners, um, where again, kids are on their phones or in front of screens all the time. So I think video is, is a good way to, to teach um, and finding ways that they like to learn. So that way when you do want to teach something, some kid you might have to go and, and show him at the board. There's another kid, you might have to show him, and then he's got to do four reps of it before he really understands what that is. So maybe you take him off to the side um, and, and do that with, for, for two minutes. Uh, with whatever rep you're doing so I think to start I think it's asking questions and being curious as as a coach to as to how that specific kid enjoys learning and how they can better get it if that makes any sense
1: yeah 100 percent I, I thought you meant like how do you teach a kid to be coachable I thought that's what you were saying
0: well we can get into that
1: but like, that that's like that's a tough question yeah i mean that's all coaching is I, we always talk about that one. Like you treat every kid differently because they all learn differently. But like, I thought it was like, how can you coach a kid to be more coachable, teach a kid to be more coachable? And I don't, like, how would you do that? How do you go about that? Other than holding them accountable, I guess, like, but also being a positive influence and I don't think, I think, rewarding, I think rewarding know. players that do what you ask.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm you nice. talk about, right? Like you talk about with your kids, one of the things that you do is you try and find the kids that are doing good things and really positively reinforce
1: yeah.
0: what those kids are doing. Perfect. So now, maybe a kid that wasn't as coachable or wasn't as open to um, something that you were trying to teach them, now they're not getting that kind of praise. And that's something that I think all kids they they crave they they want that praise for, especially from their coaches or adults or teachers or whatever it may be um, so I think that's something you know and you, that's something that you've talked about a lot
1: yeah that's true that hundred percent didn't even think about that
0: yeah and 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 going back to our PowerEdge Pro conversation too I think when kids can see results of what you're teaching them and getting and like they're getting better at things. So maybe you start, there's a kid that's having trouble with a certain skill. So you start at the basic and then, you know, they're frustrated. They're not so coachable, but then maybe they see a little bit of a sliver of hope because they're getting a little bit better at a certain skill and then a little bit more and a little bit more. And once they see that what you're teaching them is actually helping them and they're getting those results, they'll be a little bit more open uh, again to what you're trying to teach them as well.
1: Makes sense to me. Virgin <laughs> of the Choir. Yeah, yeah. Taking notes tonight, actually.
0: Uh, oh, hey. Yeah,
1: not just audio notes. <laughs>
0: um, and, uh, and for me too, I think one of the things that that I'm going to do uh, as as a coach this year with my midget team is I want to have like a 20 to 30 minute conversation with each of the parents of the kids. Because the parents know the kids much better than I know the kids. Some of the kids I've never even met before. Like, we, we aren't allowed to have tryouts. I shouldn't say we're not allowed to have tryouts, but you're allowed to sign players to player commitment forms without tryouts because we don't know when the hell we're going to be able to get back out on, on the ice again. So a lot of the kids on my team I've never seen play, I've never met before. So to be a good coach, I need to really get to know who the kid is and who better to tell me who the kid is than than the parent. So getting to know more about the kid, asking questions, how they like to learn, what are they interested in, blah, 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 blah. Again, it goes back to building that trust, too. Like, coachability isn't just on the kid. It's on the coach, too. Because you can have a really coachable kid, but if the coach isn't doing the right things necessary, I mean, it's kind of a two-way street. Would you agree?
1: A hundred percent. And that's, love that. Absolutely genius, asking parents that. You should ask the parents and then separately ask the kids like some of the same questions (laughs) and see what they see what comes up like you know if there's differences because that would be interesting too
0: yeah yeah for sure but uh no i think i think coachability is something again if you're talking about development you're talking about getting better the kids who are more open to getting better and the kids who can grasp what you're trying to teach them and then apply it faster that's ultimately how you get I don't want to say more better because you gave, gave me crap for that before. The best at getting better. Marty St. Louis, what's up? Go listen to that podcast that we did with him. Um, <laughs> but coachability.
1: You're killing me tonight. You're just making me laugh. <laughs> Unreal.
0: People helping people.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Anything else to add on coachability?
1: No. I mean, I think that it- – Parents, you you really, I mean, I, Toph and I talk about this so much, but, like, you really need to stress to your players. That is one of the most important things because, like, if a coach doesn't like you, doesn't believe in you, do, like, he's not going to advocate for your kid when teams call. And us coaches, we have to, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to, like, throw him under the, like, it's always better if if player works hard for the coach and everything's just going to be better and then you're also preparing them for life skills if they ever have a boss so like that's that's why you put your kids in sports to learn all these life schools get a le- uh, skills get a leg up and you know it's something that they're going to deal with the rest of their life so learning how to deal with a, a authoritative figure a boss of a coach in the right ways and in healthy ways and and being verbal and communicative it's it's going to help them for the rest of their life
0: love that Love that. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. Um, Competitiveness—it's the next C. Competitiveness so important if you want to get better as a player. So how do you teach competitiveness? How do you how do you grow competitiveness in a player? Or are you in the camp? Because again, this is kind of similar to hockey, sense. you have some people that would argue kids are either competitive or they're not. Um, where where do you stand?
1: I mean. Over the last, whenever I started coaching, I don't know, 15 years ago, like I definitely, younger kids, I definitely saw some butterfly watchers, you know, just like staring (laughs) up at the clouds totally. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, they're probably not going to be a competitive athlete, Uh, I guess, fortunately for like what I like to do is I only work with like double A, triple A, junior college pro. So those guys are all much more competitive in nature. But, like, one thing, you know, we always talk about turn everything into a competition, turn everything into a game. Um, I'm not a big fan of giving kids trophies for no reason. But, like, just little, little external stimuli to get them excited. I'd throw a Gatorade out at the red line at the end of practice, and we're doing sprints. And I'd do them with the kids when I first started coaching. And I'd be like, you know, if anybody beats me that Gatorade, they get it. And I'd give them all a head start. So they all sprinted harder. You know, like, put a $20 bill at the far goal line. All right, let's race for it. If anybody gets their stick on it before me, you get to keep that $20 bill. Like, just different fun things. And, I, and they don't always need to be, like, a present. You know, like, it, it could be competition against each other. And, you know, hey, like, you guys get to untie the loser skates if you – or the winner skates if you lose, like – just, you can build competition, and that was my goal every year. I played with every team I played on. I love turning everything into a competition. Whether the coach had it as a competition or not, I made it a competition, and everybody works
0: harder. Yeah, I think competition brings out the best in us for sure. And if you haven't listened, I can't remember which podcast it was that we did with Adam Nicholas, but we actually defined what competitiveness is because I think that's a big part of this equation because um, I think competitiveness can get lost in this like almost like caveman type mentality where if you're competitive, you just go around and hit people all game and um, it's almost like a – just kind of like an old school type of – you get caveman mentality for competitiveness but like for me competitiveness is passion like just absolutely loving what you do and wanting to be the best at at what you do so like alex ovechkin's competitiveness comes out because he absolutely loves the freaking score goals like he wants to be the best goal scorer in the nhl you know Sidney crosby's competitiveness is a lot different than that like Sidney crosby wants to be the best Sidney Crosby that he can be down low winning puck battles, um, all that kind of stuff. Connor McDavid, different kind of competitiveness. But at the end of the day, it's that, that kind of like will to compete with other people. So providing competitiveness, um, you know, in games and practice and all that kind of stuff, but also finding a way to instill competitiveness internally in terms of getting better. So setting goals And then setting more challenging goals, and then setting more challenging goals, and then setting more challenging goals for these kids. So they have to, they have, they almost have to beat themselves. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense?
1: Hundred percent. Like I feel like the best and
0: most competitive players, they have that competitiveness where they want to beat everybody else. But they also have that little internal competitive competition going on within them that, like, they want to, they have to be the best that they can be to maximize what they do.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why when like. I'd be coaching or, or, you know, I see with our cousins or brothers or us or whoever, and you see like a little kid, like be a poor, like a poor loser. I actually love that. Like, obviously you got to teach them not to be a poor loser, but when somebody's so mad that they lost, I love that. And I'm like, yes, yes. Like you got to teach them to be graceful, but like to, to, Cause that's going to force you to the bad times to force you to raise up to the good times. It's not what Ricky Mendez say. It's not a setback. It's a setup and you look at, it, you get pissed off. You're like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to come back and I'm going to win that next game. Like I love, I love that stuff. Love I,
0: there's, I, I distinctly, I might've said this on the podcast or maybe it was something else where I was talking to somebody, but there was a kid. I went out to BC to go watch again. I had to make a decision on him when I was at Cornell and, uh, the team It was a playoff game, and the team lost the playoff game. I actually thought the kid played pretty well. But then I go down to talk to him after the game. They lost the playoff game, and he was, like, happy as can be. And I was like, this kid ain't going to fit in with who we are, <laughs> not even close. Like, you're supposed to be pissed off that he just lost the game. And he was, like, all happy with how he played and just all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, really? Like, oh, not going to fit That's
1: a—that That is a really – But that's, like, also something that's really interesting because you can go, it's way easier to go too far the opposite way, to take it to heart too much. Like, after a game, and especially at the higher levels, like, you have to have a short-term memory. You have to, or else it messes with your psychology. But I totally, I understand what you're saying. Like, as soon as you walk out of the doors, then it's over. But, like, you're still at the rink. I don't know everybody copes differently, but obviously you saw what you saw. I, I always, because I know you were the same way, like some of those bad losses I'd take to heart too much, you know, yeah, or hold on totally. to them too long, too long, which was or good. Or bad and
0: performances, yeah. like bad losses, or even like you sucked in a game. And, and yeah. you just, you carry that with you for too long too. Right, right. goes back to the the, the, the external and then the internal too. Yeah. But I, I think finding a way to, to challenge a kid's internal competitiveness and motivation By challenging them, because again, we're talking about development here. Um, a big part of that is is challenging people, challenging them to get outside their comfort zone, challenging them to to maybe attain something that they haven't attained before. Uh, try to do something that maybe they've they've never done before. So we had that, we actually had a thing with the first team that I coached after I got done coaching at Cornell as a midget team, and we had a we I called it a do more board. So we had it up in the locker room and it was basically a thing where it's like, we're doing more than the next person. But it was also an internal competition between the guys on the team where everybody had different and we made it really like simple and easy. So there were some kids that needed foot speed. So we had like a jump rope thing. We had some kids that, um, it was a push up thing. I mean, just like little things like that, but it was up on the board. And whenever they did their stuff at the rink that they were doing more, they would like tick it off. So it was like, almost like, uh, you know, you were seeing this, the leaderboard, the scoreboard of, and, and you could tell like the kids who had a lot of ticks, they were the ones getting better. Weird. <laughs> yeah. But it was creating that kind of like positive peer pressure, a little bit of competition, actually not a little bit, a lot of bit of competition because that brings out, brings out the best.
1: I love that. That is a genius idea. That's awesome. Very cool. Thanks man. Appreciate
0: it. You're welcome.
1: Seriously. I love <laughs> that idea. Like I just told somebody today, like positive energy, like creates more positive energy. And then it's just like a waterfall And then everybody wants to be on it and doing more makes other guys want to do more. And it's like one of our first podcasts, you talk about Matt Molson grabbing you and being like, let's go. And like, it's, yeah, it's very cool. It's a great idea. Cool.
0: Thanks, man. All right. Coach billion next one. So we have creativity, making plays, competitiveness, coachability. Um, community is the next one. That's the four C. Um, I think it's very important as coaches that we help the kids understand and develop, uh, a knowledge of what it means to be a part of a team and, and have a community feel. I think we're really, really selling the kids short if we're not putting a lot of focus into that. So as someone who's been a captain of everywhere he's ever been and somebody that, this stuff is really, really important to you, you know, as a, as a coach, how do you, how do you help develop that in players?
1: At what age?
0: Again, let's talk about the older, let's talk about the older kids.
1: I mean, establishing good leaders, like a hundred percent, like that's first and foremost. And then creating like, you know, I, I'm sure every team you played on, especially at the higher levels, like captains were a bit, were very super, super important, but it was also like the leadership group. So it wasn't just like three guys. It was like the leadership group. It could be half the team, you know, and it's just like getting everyone on board with the same message and just being like, let's decide who we want to be, what we want to be. And then let's keep everyone inside of that bubble and let's keep moving forward together. And if somebody gets outside that bubble, we're all going to grab them and bring them back inside the bubble by any means necessary, whether it's pop. I mean, I first, I always think positive first, but like maybe you got to go negative and, uh, but like you figure out what they need to do and then just keeping everyone together. And then like at the older levels, like team parties with the team, every team that hangs out more, they always win more. Like it's, it's hilarious every year the, the, what did you guys do? Ah, we all really liked each other. We all hung out a lot. Our wives all hung out together. Our girlfriends all hung out together. Like it's so obvious. Like I just, you know, find ways to make, force like the guys to get or girls to get together more and in ways that aren't so structured and the coaches are there sometimes and the coaches aren't there sometimes Yeah. and let them just get to know each other outside the rink as well
0: yeah yeah those kind of team bonding experiences are so i think it's the most important thing to to a culture is those not unstructured kind of away from the rink those types of times are they're everything and that that doesn't just go for high level teams that that goes for i think youth teams too like the the time in the locker room before practice where the guys are goofing around and stuff or at the hotels or the restaurants doing team meals um, at tournaments and things like that. It's just, I think it's so important. Let me ask you this too. So, well, first of all, when it comes to community, I think as a coach, the first thing you have to do is you have to live it yourself. Like you have to be a really good quote unquote teammate and, and you have to be unselfish in, in the stuff that you do. But one of the things that like, even with youth teams that I absolutely like, it's just kind of like a little thing, but I, I love, When, like, if one of our kids gets cheap shotted or like our goalie gets cheap shotted or something, I don't even care if we're going to get a power play out of it. I want our team sticking up for that guy. Like, I'll take the four on four. Like, it's just like a little thing, but it just goes back to like having each other's backs. Like, I'm okay with the coincidental penalty there. Does that make any does that make any sense?
1: buddy of course i mean obviously if it's game seven of the playoffs take the power play but yes (laughs) 99.999999999% of the time i'm 100 percent in agreement with you because that sets a precedent and a culture and it's so much more important than that one power play and what i was going to say before you even said that but it just makes perfect sense now is like would you take a bullet for a stranger like probably not but you'd step in front of a bullet for your brother like your actual brother You know, like, so like, it's that kind of mentality. Like if the more you like the guys on your team, the more you will sacrifice and more sacrifice means it's going to, it's going to have more wins are going to happen. You know, you're going to block that shot or you're going to not take that stupid penalty or you're not, you're going to take a punch in the face to get a power pick, all those things.
0: Yeah. Like I'm sure you've been on benches and on teams that were like very tight. And then some that weren't so tight and you can see it when there's a block shot or somebody gets cheap shotted and the bench is just kind of like silent. You're, you're fricking absolutely doomed. Like you're, you're done like your season. You might as well just pack it up and, 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 or just trade everybody and get get new players Uh, fire sale. (laughs) Um. So like for me, a lot of the community, there's two things. The bench during games, I think, is a huge part of it. Positivity on the bench, how the kids talk to each other, how you talk and how you like how positive you are on the bench as as a coach. I think that's that's really big. But the other thing, too, that I think develops community is in practice. And it goes back to and we've talked about this before, like practices should be harder than games. And when practice, when you guys are competing against each other so hard in practice, you're making each other better. And I always tell my teams that, If you're not bringing your best in practice, that is the most selfish thing that you can do as a teammate, because then you're not making your teammate better when you compete with them in whatever drill that you're doing. So just that, that like community feel of, we are all in this together, working our best to make each other better. Like when you work hard, it's not just for you. Like that message of you're working hard to, to get the best out of your teammates as well. I think that's a a big, big thing.
1: It's huge. It's huge. And it goes back to caring and things like that. Like when everybody knows how much you care, like all those things, like everyone will be more of a unit. Everyone will be together. Like it's not an accident that the the best like friends and the best teams and the best groups and the tightest knit groups, they always wind up doing special things. It's not the teams that hate each other or very, very seldom.
0: Or just don't care. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah yeah and it's, and it's it's you're right like it's so starts in practice and like you got it you that's why like i don't love there's so many teams that just choose their captains as the guy who scores the most goals or the go- girl who scores the most especially goals at the youth level right oh and it drives me nuts and it's like yeah. man if you had this guy in the locker room talking or this kid like as the one who's who's you know people are listened to more you would have a better team you'd have a better product everyone would be happier like all those things and it's just, you know, those are the things you, you don't look at who has the most points when you're deciding the leaders. It's who's going to steer the ship. When things start to go poorly, who's going to step up and, and slam that door and say, nope, it stops now. Let's go. Let's get together. Let's do this. That's who you want leading the ship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't think coaches do enough of uh leadership development. I think that's something like if I were to get back into coaching and I'll even do it this year uh, with our midget guys, but like you know, finding a freshman or a sophomore, or if you're coaching junior or pro hockey, like finding, finding a couple kids that will be vets on your team at some point and just having those kinds of conversations with them and developing them as leaders, because as we talked about, like that's, it's everything. So I wrote the article, what are the 10 most essential ingredients of championship teams. Number one was player leadership And number two is secondary player leadership. So going back to your point, first one's the captain's got to be on board with you as a coach. Captain's got to be good leaders authentically, all that kind of stuff. But then who are the, who's the, who's that next group? that has to follow through with the stuff that the leaders are talking about. And you're talking about as, as a coach too. And I think you need to develop that. It's a consistent, consistent, consistent thing. And I'm not just talking about like bringing a leadership group in once a week. I'm talking about like sitting down with your players as individuals and talking to them about leadership, finding out what their leadership qualities are and then putting them in situations where they, their qualities can come out and shine, um, as, as a player and as a, as a, as a teammate in the room.
1: Totally hundred percent. And like, think I love that you said like primary and secondary. And just thinking too, like with your captains, like you don't necessarily, I mean, every room is different. Right. But like, you don't necessarily want all of the quiet leader who just does it all. You're yeah. going to need somebody who's going to need to step up who's the funny guy or the guy who's going to get the boys going because, you know, he, he has that ability or whatever. Like, so, like, when you're picking captains, like, think of do they complement each other or is it the same type of leader? You know, are, do they like each other? Because I've been on a couple teams where, like, the, the captains didn't like each other. So, you know, they're sending a message to the team, but then behind closed doors they're chirping at each other. And you know that that's just a recipe for disaster. So... <laughs> Um, You know, those those type of things you you definitely have to to look into before deciding who you're going to have lead the the ship.
0: Yep, for sure. All right, community. So we got through creativity, coachability, competitiveness, community. And the last one I have on my list, and it might be the most important one, is charisma, just an absolute passion for the the game of hockey and a passion for the team that you play for. So – Let's get to it. How do you develop that that charisma? How do you develop that passion for the game and passion for team?
1: another tough question. I think competition again. Competit like everything comes back to competition. Like how do you develop a passion? Like teaching somebody they don't want to lose, teaching somebody that they want to win and that all starts in practice. That starts from your day-to-day and then you carry that into the game. You don't just like start being passionate You don't learn to hate losing if you never lost before, or or, I don't know, like, that's a good question. How do you teach someone to be passionate? I don't know. I'm passionate. So I I honestly (laughs) don't know how to teach anyone else to be passionate. out of me. I don't know how to teach anyone else to be passionate. God. Well, no, I guess it's probably leadership again, like positive energy rubs off on people and they want to be more positive. Um, So I guess having good leaders, I I don't know. How do you develop passion?
0: Um, I think you can definitely bring it out in people. The other thing that I think we need to think about and parents need to think about is it's very easy to suck the passion out of it as well. And that's something that's really important to talk about because with the way that our game is kind of going, especially at the youth levels, it's becoming so professionalized, so stressful, um, so just unnecessarily important at such young ages now that you're sucking the passion out of the game for these kids because when you first start playing hockey, you love the game of hockey because you just love to play in the game. You love to play with your friends and all that kind of stuff. And if it, the, the, the younger it keeps getting professionalized, the, the sooner those kids are going to start forgetting that that's why they play the game. And when a kid starts to play, even at like 13 to get a scholarship or to get something, it's, it's all about player advancement, which that's in the youth hockey game right now. And player advancement is talked about way too much, in my opinion, um, that you can, you can suck that right out of a player, like easily right out of a player. But in terms of like developing that, again, it goes back to like, a couple things. One, a kid's got to want to come to the rink. So you got to provide an environment for the kid where number one, he's getting along with his teammates. He, he likes being a part of the team and the group of the people that they're with. So going back to the community feeling, I think that's really important for developing a passion for the game. And I think another way that kids can develop passion is it goes back to it. if they f- If they see themselves getting better they're going to want to do it more and more and more because they see that progress. They get the positive feedback. Uh, if you're into more data type stuff and, and you're timing kids or if you're in the gym and, and they're seeing that their their weights are going up with some of the the, the stuff that they're doing, I think that can also – develop a passion for it especially if you're challenging like if you make the drills challenging and then they're getting it and getting better at it and they see themselves getting better I think I think that could be a big part of it too
1: yeah that, that was a really good call I always get people to think about their why but like that too yeah like 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 if somebody's having a bad day I'm like all right like why are you here not why are you here today why are you here like why are you here okay. So is what you're doing right now going to get you to that spot that you want to be in? No. Okay. So what do we need to do? All right. We got to, we got to work harder. We got to have more fun. We got to do this. We got to do that. And then just getting them, you know, loosen up. And then, yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, like everyone wants to. To have fun. Like you don't want to go somewhere where you're dreading going. So if you can make anything and everything fun, you're going to want to do it. You are going to definitely have a passion for it. I didn't even think about that correlation, but yeah, I mean, that's basically the, the way that I try and live my life. Whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to make other people have fun, whether it's at practice or it's in the gym, like whatever, you don't want to do something that isn't fun. So yeah, and, that and, will help. especially kids, that helps.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm a big believer tell me if I'm wrong, if you think this too, but I'm a big, big believer that uh, a team takes on the personality of their head coach. And so if you are having fun as the coach and you are into it and you're providing positive energy, I think that goes a long, long way because I think that's just, it's kind of modeling the way for how your kids are going to react too. So if you're coming to practice and you're tired and you're just going through the same, the motions, the same old drills and the same old stuff, like that's not fun. That's not fun for the kids. So I think just modeling the way as a coach and bringing everything that you have, bringing your passion to the game, I think that'll rub off a lot on the players as well.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, that's like now I'm thinking about like all these teams in different places and their coaches and the personality ish, you know, of the team and how they act on the ice. That's a big one. How a team acts on the ice is so reflective of their coach, their discipline and their respect level and things yeah. like that. And their compete and their compete level. Um, yeah, that's really it's like it's a mirror for sure.
0: hundred percent, man. hundred percent. And then, OK, so those are the five C's. But there is one more one more that I think is really, really important. And it's another C as well. And I, I believe this is something that you can develop and it's on a spectrum. You can have more of it or less of it. And that is confidence. So I think if you have all those first five C's and you can – you're going to be a more confident player, more confident kid, right? So so how do you develop that? How do you help a kid develop confidence? Because you, you talk to pros – you talk to high level players i mean confidence is everything
1: confidence is 99% of sports
0: yeah it's everything right so how do you how do you as a coach how do you help your kids develop confidence
1: teach them the value of preparation and then sh- like shine a light on on what that preparation did to help them be successful. And then they start to learn that when they prepare correctly and, you know, intensely and things like that, that they have success and confidence.
0: Yeah. So let's go farther in that. So what does that mean? Like teach them that preparation is really important. So like, how would you go about that?
1: Well, I think it's just like, I I don't think you you, you don't, you teach them to prepare through your practices, through your workouts, through your mindset, coaching, all these things. And then you shine a light on, hey, remember when we did that thing in practice? How'd you just score? Oh, weird. So like when you practice things the right way, good things happen. Like that kind of thing, you know. Oh, that's the first time you've ever done 20 push-ups in a row without having to stop. So like when we've done push-ups every day for the last three weeks, now you've done that for the first time. All right, like there we go. We didn't just go from A to C. You had to go through B. We had to do the work and, like, look where you are today, you know? So, like, showing them where they were and then where they are now successful, then looking back and reflecting, hey, what did you do? And then they're like, oh man. So, like, putting in the work makes me better. And then they start to put in the work and they start, and then it's just, it's a cyclical. It's you prepare, you succeed, you prepare, you succeed, or you fail, you learn, you prepare better, you succeed. And just shining a light on that cycle. And how much it's reflecting. And then showing them when they don't. Because everyone's going to fall off the wagon every now and then. Or, hey, oof, you have not had the best last two weeks. Like, what's going on? And then it's, oh, man, I've been staying with a different family. I've been eating crap food. I haven't been sleeping. Well, like, that directly correlated to you not having that success. So they had no, and now you have no confidence. So how do we get that confidence back? Why did you? Why were you so confident the first 20 games? Huh? Well, all I was doing this, this, and this, so let's get back to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'll take it a step further. I think take goal I, th- I think goal settings a big part of that. Setting goals and not necessarily like you know, like product goals where I'm gonna be the best player on the team, but like process goals, where it goes back to that preparation. I'm gonna do this, this, and this. And then if you go back and you do this, this, and this on that day, you're going to be much more confident going into whatever it is that you're doing. Even as a business owner, like there are certain things that I need. I set goals for the day. There are certain things I need to get done in a certain day. And if my day kind of gets beyond me and I don't end up doing those things, I feel like crap at the end of the day for not having done the things that I said I was going to do. And I think that relates so much from an athletic standpoint. Like if you want a better shot, and you, you write down in your notebook, I'm going to shoot a hundred pucks every day this week. And then you do it all seven days. Like how good are you going to feel about yourself? It, like that's, that's a great accomplishment that you just did. And then imagine piling those little accomplishments up continually, continually, continually. And that's why I think as a coach, it's really important to have like individualized plans, like product plans and goal setting for these kids, because I don't think necessarily a lot of them will do that on their own. If, if hardly any, I think that's something you have to help them with. And so I just, I think that's so important because I think that can build the confidence. And again, confidence comes from, um, feeling good about yourself from the work that you put in. It comes from the preparation and the consistency with which, what you do to prepare, whether it's a certain skill or a certain mindset, whatever it may be. Um, I'm with you, man. But I think goal setting is a huge piece of that.
1: I love that. That's awesome. I love you said the individualized goal setting too. our head coach, Mike Barrett this year, and assistant coach, Chris Durso with the AAA blues, they were unbelievable with that. And meeting with the kids and the families a couple times a year and working with them on their goals, you know, short-term, long-term meeting with them again, seeing, Hey, how we progress towards them. And it, the parents absolutely loved it. So did the kids. And it was very cool. And I think going back to like, like, how do you do that? And then also thinking about the other things we talked about, community and passion and, and, and character and all these things. Like, shining a light on the guys on the team that are doing it the right way and then having success from it and constantly praising those those guys to the in front of the team to the team. Like, even if there's somebody who's a 100-goal scorer on your team, like, just throw a number out there, but there's a 10-goal scorer. And 10-goal scorer is doing everything he can. He's the hardest worker ever. And he goes from 10 to 20. You you shine a light on that guy over the guy at 100, but you go to the 100 guy and you take him aside, you say, hey, we got Johnny from 10 to 20. That's 100% increase. What if you put in the work like Johnny is and you could go from 100 to 200? You're going to have every team in North America wanting you. You know, and then, so like, just, you know, you just example, you, you show them. Damn! Like, right, you know what I mean? Like, And then people see that and they're like, oh, because shining a light on that, those positive examples gets other people to want to do them. And then that builds more confidence then the community. And then everyone's characters coming up and it's all cyclical and intertwined.
0: Yeah, Yep. I love that. And then, um, just kind of like with that, I think we've spoken a lot on this here today. Um, but I wanted to share like my goals as a coach for my team for next year, because Ooh. I think, I think like, I think that's important important in terms of, you know, player development, providing the environment where these kids can get better. Okay. So I have three goals. These are the goals for my teams. Number one, I want to be the best practice team in the country. So I really want our kids to value practice. I want them to love practice, enjoy practice, being as a team together, competing against each other. And then it goes back to, again, this is something I learned from Reed Cashman, Congrats, Cash. He just uh, actually got the head coaching job at uh, Dartmouth. Uh, He was an assistant with the Capitals. So awesome, awesome guy. Like, awesome guy, great hire. And one of the things that he told me a while back when I was at Cornell was, hey, look, my job is Monday to Thursday. I think we've talked about this maybe before. My job is Monday to Thursday so that I can instill the, the habits necessary in these kids so they can go out on Friday and Saturday and play free. Now they're just doing what they love to do. And it's automatic, the stuff that we've taught them. And then they're just playing on their instinct and their passion. So like, I want to be number one, the best practice team in the country. So I need to be the best practice coach in the country. So I need to bring energy every day. I need to bring preparation every day so that our kids, you know, if we expect that out of them, then we have to do it ourselves. Number two is I want to be the hardest team to play against in the country. Like, so I want everybody to know, like when they're playing against my team, it's not going to be easy. And so how do you develop that? It goes back to the competitiveness. Talk about like competing so hard in practice that the games are almost easy because teams aren't to to that level. Um, And then the third thing is I want to have the most fun of every team in the country. Like I want to like what is playing hockey if you're not going to enjoy it? And that's one thing that as a player, I look back at my career and I wish I would have done a lot more, and that's not to say that I didn't have fun. But especially when I got later in my career, it was—I I was so focused and so determined and so serious that I almost forgot about how much I love the game and, and enjoyed it. So providing an environment for our guys in practice where they're going to have a lot of fun, and that goes to the players having fun with each other and them getting along, but also doing things in practice like competitions and things like that where it can bring out the best and, and the enjoyment for the game for the kids. So I think as coaches, providing an environment for the development is just as important as the things that you need to develop in the kids as well.
1: And how important is it for you to tell the parents that at the beginning of the year, all those goals? Oh, it's huge. I think yeah, it's I mean, so massive. I think too many coaches don't do those things. So the parents, not question their motives, but it just allows them to get those those sneaking thoughts in their head. The coach is trying to play favorites or this, that, or the other thing. You just get that right out in the open. Like, look, this is my goals. These are my goals with this kid. These kids, these are my goals with this team. This is what I want to accomplish. Let's all do this together. You're part of this too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. So we've been going here for a while, so we're over an hour in, maybe we should do a part two. Cause I have so much more I want to talk about on this stuff. So maybe we like more like hockey specific stuff, like certain habits that kids need to get better at um, certain habits that teams need to be better at, um, you know what I mean? So I think we've talked a lot in this one. I think maybe we save the more hockey specific ones and shoot us like, now that we're thinking right now, like shoot us some comments on this one. Like if you enjoyed this and want more of these kinds of hockey talk discussions between Jeff and I, um, cause I enjoy just kind of talking hockey like this big time and, um,
1: big time.
0: yeah, but I had, so we, we got in depth on a lot of that stuff, but, um, there's so much more that I wanted to get into. Maybe we'll save that for a part two. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Sister act part two. I love it. Uh, hockey think tank habits podcast. I like go. that.
0: Yeah, we'll do, a, we'll do a hockey habits, which goes into the development side, obviously. But um, this was fun, man. Good work. Yeah. Love good it. Work, love Captain seeing your Duck. face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you were making me laugh at the beginning. I like this one. I hope people enjoyed this one because I love uh, love picking your brain and hearing your, your thoughts because they're real good.
0: Oh, yours too. Yours <laughs> too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was kind of micro stuff or macro stuff. Maybe we get into the micro stuff the next time. Um, talking a little bit more hockey habit type stuff, but um, hope everybody has a great, great week. We got some big things ahead uh, with some podcast hockey think tank podcast series coming up. So be on the lookout on social media for those. Got some heavy hitters coming up and uh, we appreciate all of your guys' support. We should say our thank yous again to our sponsors, so GelStix, uh, who supported us all along the way. We appreciate your guys' support. Um, Train Heroic as well, which is that you guys are killing it on Train Heroic. By the way, how many people do you have signed up for your uh, for your app?
1: I think I had like five hundred and sixty-two today, or something. Nice. But I've given. I mean, I've given out over a hundred for free. Cause you know, as I, I still to this day, if people are having trouble with COVID and they lost their jobs or they can't afford it, like still DM me and I'll send you whatever phase you need currently. So, um, give me on Instagram at Jeff with You somebody out there is having trouble and wants, wants some free programming. What's up, bro. Just trying to help people.
0: But most importantly, follow me on Instagram. He says, <laughs> I didn't say I'm
1: kidding. But seriously, give me a follow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And give me some waffle fries. <laughs> oh,
1: that's a great reference. All right.
0: Um, but also thank you to to all the listeners that that tune in week after week after week. We so appreciate you guys. Uh, if you can continue to share us with your groups, continue to provide us some feedback on on iTunes or Apple Podcasts with uh, with ratings or comments. We so appreciate those. We want to get better, and, and we want to make this podcast better just like we uh, – We expect our our kids to get better that we coach. And with all the stuff that we talked about today, hopefully we can help uh, help you guys out there that are maybe parents or coaches to help your kids get a little bit better. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all of your support for us. And uh, like we said, hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye.